0: I think that Galatians 5 and what it gives us, that what it, what it should produce in us after going through the first four chapters of really hard work, especially if you're the Galatians, of feeling like, wow, Paul's really going after us. He doesn't do it out of spite or meanness. He does it out of love with the desire that they would change. And so we're going to see this morning um, as we have through all of Galatians, a lot of the same thing given in new ways, but then we're also going to make a bit of a, of a turn and look at the idea of what it means to be free. Now, all of Galatians talks about the freedom that we are to have in Christ, but it does it from the negative perspective of why are you being yoked again? Or why are you again, putting yourselves into slavery? You you remember that, right, if you've been here all along, that there are are several places in which it talks about the idea of slavery. Matter of fact, last week uh, we looked at the ideas, uh, or the the people, Hagar and Sarah. And remember, Hagar, the the slave woman, and Sarah, the free woman. And uh, the idea, the picture, the story being, if you are trying to add things, Jesus plus something which is what the Judaizers were telling the Galatian church, that Paul came and said, Jesus plus nothing, and the Judaizers came and said, no, it's Jesus plus something. You need the Old Testament law. You need circumcision. You need, you need the rituals. You need the washings. You need you know whatever those things are. And and my guess is, is that they were probably picking and choosing. You guys know what that's like, right? Where people kind of pick and choose the parts of the Bible they like and then the rest of it they don't. There are... Um, Things that I'm doing right now and, and people that I'm talking to whom I care about a lot and I'm trying to help them to know the gospel. And one of the things that I have to deal with with them and, and talk to them about is how they're picking and choosing. They, they You can say Jesus and you cannot mean Jesus, the, the, the real Jesus, the Bible Jesus. As a matter of fact, um, there has been uh, elected a new pope. I'm sure one or two of you have heard of this, right? Um, it's it's slightly been in the news. Uh, there there's a webcam 24 hours on the chimney, awaiting the smoke. You know, is it going to be black smoke? Is it going to be white smoke? Why are we have racist smoke? You know, and yeah, yes, right. You know, and so we have this just ongoing like all the news. It used to be that like they would go to commercial, but there'd still be the little box of the video of the chimney, right? And, uh, and I'm not trying to make fun of it, I, I'm really not. I mean, it is funny, and, uh, and I think even some Catholics would, would obviously find it funny. And if you are a, a Catholic, or have a Catholic background, or, or whatever else, uh, I, I want you to know I'm not trying to just ridicule Catholicism, but I want to speak very honestly and very truthfully about what happened as a new Pope was elected. I've been dealing with some friends, some, some evangelical friends, some church leaders who have been wanting to to paint this in the in the best way possible. And the effort being made is you know we really want to help catholics know Jesus and so we're just going to celebrate the election of a new pope. And the problem is is that we have no father, no papa, no pope but God, right? We have we have no Jesus but Jesus, but the pope is you know one of the titles for the Pope? The Vicar of Christ, which is another, basically, Jesus embodied in the world, right? It's not that he is actually Jesus, but it's it's right close to that idea. And so he is the representative, which is why he can speak, according to the Catholic Church, infallibly. He can, he can at times, when he chooses to, or, or when God chooses to, however they decide to define it. It's funny, whenever you want to call out... Um, a, a pope for saying something contradictory to what other popes have said, they'll always say, well, that wasn't the time they were speaking infallibly. And um, the, the, the problem is, is I don't think Jesus ever contradicted himself. I don't think an apostle ever contradicted another apostle without them actually <laughs> being challenged and changed. And so um, this, is, this is important for us to remember. But let me just say it this way. As, as we as Christians, uh, and we are, are around a lot of Catholics in our culture, uh, if you want to find the, the best attended church in Woodstock, go to the Catholic Church, and you will see it is full of people. The reason it's full of people, among lots of other things, it's not, you know, tradition and how how many kids are born in the Catholic Church and all of that. The reason it is so full is because in the Catholic Church, in the Catholic faith, in the Catholic tradition, works are essential for righteousness and salvation. And they will try to find a way to dispute that by parsing words. And, and um, I have had many conversations with Catholics who are trying to find a way to explain, no, 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 it's by faith in Christ. But then there was always, but you have to then do these things. And this is why after a Catholic baby is born, they're Immediate, like, we got to hurry up and baptize this baby, because if the baby's not baptized, the original sin's not taken away. And, and these kinds of teachings are very important in the Catholic Church. So when a new pope is elected, when the Catholic Church is looking for a new father, a new, a new um, vicar of Christ, the Catholic Church is putting into place something that the Bible says is Jesus plus something. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's something added. It's not just the Pope, but it is the works. There's, there are the different things that you have to do. There's the different um, you know, actions that you have in life. The, the, the Taking the Lord's Supper, as we take the Lord's Supper, if you come and you say, this morning I'm not taking the Lord's Supper, the, nobody was going to come to you and say, well, what happens if you die in a car crash tomorrow? But in the Catholic Church, it's different. Once, once you get to this point, it's like all my sins are absolved. But then the next time I sin, now if I don't go to the next step and get it absolved again, it's it's, it rolls back, and you have to go and have a priest say that you're forgiven, or otherwise you're still in a state of sin. And when you die, at best you'll go to purgatory, and then you know after your sins are kind of burned off over the years. um, By the way, if anybody was, if anybody did, anybody watch live the whole um, the, the pope thing? He came out. We watched it live. And uh, I called Molly down to watch it, and she's like i'm busy you know, playing Parcheesi or something. Does uh, anybody play Parcheesi anymore? okay no, forget it um, and uh so so we were watching it and if if, if you're paying attention, or if you go back and find an article or you know some of the articles written about what happened, one of the things that'll be pointed out, and i've seen Catholic scholars that have been the ones to to, to show this is that there was an indulgence. For the viewers of the selection and the the first presentation of the new pope. In other words, if you watched it, you get some relief from purgatory. That's what Catholics believe. So, uh, I, I say all that to say I've, I've got a friend. Um, it's somebody that I, I don't know really well, but it's somebody that I know. It's somebody in Chicago, um, and is at an evangelical church, and so we've we've been discussing some of these things, and I'm just um, blown away by the fact that evangelicals somehow have forgotten that we are Protestants. The word Protestant has at its core what word? Protest. That we are protesting that they don't have the gospel. And therefore, we need to pull away and be the church. You can't, you can't just come together and say, well, you know, let's just all be friends. And, and so, it, there's gonna be a lot, this is where a lot of questions come up. Are, you know, are Catholics Christians? Can they really be saved? And all of that stuff. I'm not saying you can't be a Catholic and truly be saved and just be mistaken in your connection to that church. What I'm saying is this, and this is all just kind of foundational to some stuff that I'm going to say today, but it is foundational to Galatians. The response to Catholic teaching is Galatians. And so while we're in the series, Faith Alone, we have watched an an historical event happen that doesn't happen very often, and the selection of a new pope, and the reminder of, okay, this is the Catholic Church, what are they about? They're not about this. They'll say faith. We're justified by faith, but they'll never say alone. And that is the greatest kind of danger with, with the gospel, is that there's something else to add to it. We've been for f- four chapters in Galatians saying the same thing, haven't we? There is nothing you can add. So the minute you start to add something, you have Paul right in the Galatians saying, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And so when when you see any system of belief that refers to the Bible that has in its teaching Jesus plus something. It's not good enough for us to just go, well, but I, I'm more of a Baptist or I'm more of a Presbyterian or I'm more of a whatever and I'll just let them be their own thing. The false gospel can't just be something we just allow to go out there. We've got to talk about it, folks. We've got to talk about it with them because they're lost they're dying, they're going to hell, if they're not and they're a Catholic, then it's just the grace of God that they're um, being saved somehow by grace and faith uh, alone, even though they're in a system that's telling them otherwise, and they're just simply, in a godly way, mistaken, which um, can happen, and, and I think probably does happen. But the, the Catholic Church is a false church. It's a, they have a false gospel. And I'm not saying this because I'm trying to bash Catholics. I'm saying it because I want to love Catholics into Christ. And so I just want to encourage you. That you have Catholic friends all around you. I have, I have kids on our baseball team, and their parents are Catholics, and they go to Catholic Church, and they go to Catholic school. And I love these guys, and I spend time with them, and I talk to them and I hang out with them. And, and, and you know what? I, there's the kids who are shy, and I'm trying to get them to open up, and there's the kids who are not shy. and trying to get them to shut up. But you know, um, there's various types of children out there. Um, but they're all, they're all great. I just like these kids, and I like their parents, and I want them to know Jesus. And the way you help them to know Jesus is not by shutting your mouth and not saying that there's differences between us. It's by saying, look, there are differences between us, but let's talk about it. It's okay. We don't have to think that somehow we're going to be more appealing by keeping our mouths shut. We can't. We can't be more appealing by keeping our mouths shut. How many people in the world go, you know what? I really like people who just never say anything and don't have any convictions. I mean, do you like that? I, these, these are great people. Like, we hang out and just have no convictions together. I'm sitting, I'm, I'm finishing my sermon yesterday at Starbucks. And I'm sitting at the community table. You know the community table at Starbucks? If you've been to Starbucks or Ace, it's, it's a big like 10, 12 person table. And so often there's three or four different people working there, or doing something there, and they're, they're often by themselves doing their own thing. But now it's me, way on one corner, and as I've been there, progressively people have started to fill in the seats all the way over to me, and it is like nerddom has come upon me. <laughs> they have sleeves of cards of made-up characters, and I don't even know what, they, what that stuff is. And they're having these conversations, and every punchline has something to do with a, a, a character out of some you know, sci-fi movie or, or whatever. You know? And there's, there's, it's not just Star Trek and Star Wars. That's not nerdy anymore. Everybody, everybody likes that. They're using names of characters I've never even heard of, and I probably will never hear of again. And so I'm sitting there trying to work on my sermon, and it's really tough to focus. When, when you've got a whole group of people talking about something, and you're like, what is that? Like, just what is it? And, and so I don't, I don't even fully remember where I was going with that, but here's, here's what I'm trying to say. What's that? (laughs) You can't just say the line of the sermon. You gotta, there's gotta be more to it than that. Um. There's there's people around us, and they believe all sorts of other things, and they have all sorts of truths and all sorts of uh, yeah. There's just everybody has their own world, their own place, and and I'm just telling you, it's not good enough. And as I'm as I'm sitting there around this group, you know, all I could think of is I've got to focus and get this thing done because I was being really distracted, um, but they were having fun and. Somebody has to break into their world. When somebody breaks into your world, it's often not fun. Am I, am I right? If somebody goes, hey, you know what? I'm just going to come spend the day at your house. And you're like, you weren't invited you know, to my house. And then all of a sudden you're there and it's like, it's awkward. You don't want to just shoo them away because you're afraid it's going to offend them. And, and it's just this it's a really awkward thing when somebody sort of breaks into your life and, and, and sort of hijacks a piece of it. And it happens to you all the time. Even when you don't notice it, you've gotten used to it. You've maybe built into your life the ability to handle that because that's a good thing to do, to be able to handle that. But there's a whole world out there that if you start to crack the shell on their lives, they're going to feel broken and they're not going to like that. And so I say that to say the Galatian church had that happen to them from Paul. And they received it. They believed in Christ. Then they have the Judaizers come in and they start teaching them and they start moving away from Christ. Now Paul has to go back in and sort of re-crack the shell. He has to go back and re-injure them with the gospel. If you think you can go through life being quiet, having no conviction, that's what I was talking about. If you think you can go through life having no conviction and you're just going to I'm sitting at a table of guys who are just absolutely convicted by the fact that they just need to nerd out on all this cartoony stuff. And to me, that's weird. I don't get it. But I know, I mean, some of you get it. Some of you are in it. And that's great. Some of my kids are in that. And Jack will just start, I'll be, I could be working on the most important thing in my whole life. And Jack will start telling me some story about a drawing he made. And it's like, you know, you want to kind of go, Okay, I'm busy, but then he's got this whole world and it's, there's nothing wrong with that, but we all have it. What I'm saying is, is it's not unique. And so the gospel and Galatians and and, and all of scripture and all of the truth is going to break into worlds. And even as I prayed before I preached about the Holy Spirit coming, we cannot change unless the Holy Spirit comes to work. The Holy Spirit has to come and start smashing your idols in front of your face to wake you up, and to wake me up. So that was the side note of my introduction. Um, and now we need to move toward the text. So I, I just want to ask kind of this question in general. And as we're going through Galatians, if we can say anything that we've learned so far, we would say it is Jesus plus nothing. When Jesus and something is added, right? The law is added or anything else that you put, your own law, whatever it is, when you add something to it, then the gospel is gone, or the gospel is, is faulty or false. So now here's the question. If, if you get preached over and over to you, it's Jesus plus nothing, then what will happen to some people is they will say, so why should I even try to be holy? Why should I even work hard? You're tell- you keep telling me I can't work You keep telling me I can't achieve. You keep telling me I can't be acceptable by the things that I do. So why is there any motivation at all to do anything at all? And it's an important question. And to be honest, the the great debate and difficulty that we should have as Christians should not be how much of the law we should have. It should be because we're so free, what is our motivation then to live as God is? Wants us to live, and why would he want us to live that way, if we're already fully accepted? Uh, Let me let me put it this way: because of the gospel, you are. uh, Hear me now. uh, I need you to really focus. This is an important question. Because of the gospel, this is going to sound weird. Because of the gospel, you are completely free to go and just lie. In a sense. If I'm accepted by Christ, if he loves me, if he's died, taken my sin away, I've placed my faith in him, it's saving faith, real faith in Christ. So that I say it's his work alone. And I'm so built upon that foundation. I am completely free to lie and God will do what? Forgive me. The danger and where bad theology comes in is where preachers will just preach there's nothing you could ever do for the, for to lose your salvation, and therefore everybody can, you know, just don't have to worry about that. Just go, you know, just doesn't matter. I'm just going to go preach to 16-year-olds, you know, just go out and just have all the sex you want, and go be with all the boyfriends and girlfriends you want, and go just do everything and speak whatever kind of words you want to speak. And as long as you've trusted Christ, you're safe. That is dangerous if the theology, the, the edge of it, is off. But where I think Paul begins to go here in Galatians 5 is he begins to show us what that edge is so that we realize what our motivation for obedience is. How, how why should we be holy? How can we do that? Why would we want to do that this is where we're going to go in Galatians 5. So Galatians 5 starting in verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Now remember the story just before this. Hagar and Sarah. The, the slave woman, the free woman. Now, after that story is there, we're children of the free woman. The next statement by Paul is, for freedom, Christ has set us free, which is the idea of purpose. What's the most important word in the Bible? For. What does it start with? Look at no. Look at verse 5. What does it start with? It starts with F. Did you guys just say it starts with F? I love you guys. That was the best wrong response ever. This verse starts with the word for, for freedom. Christ has set us free. In other words, that is the purpose. The reason Christ has set you free is to shockingly be free. I have freed you to be free. You don't say, you know, oh, there's a bird in a cage, and then you pull it out of the cage and you say, Fly away, bird, and then go, I can't wait till later to try to catch it. You want the bird to fly, you want it to soar, you want it to go have a family and you know, get a job or whatever. So, for freedom, it is the purpose of freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Get that? It is for freedom Christ has set you free, so now I'm going to give you something to do. What is it that you do? Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. One of the most, one of the most important things you can do is to put forth your effort to not be under a system that tells you to do. That's interesting, isn't it? It's for freedom Christ sets you free. So what you need to do is make sure somebody doesn't come and tell you to do something. What you need to do is to not let somebody come in and tell you need to do. Because it is for freedom Christ has set you free. That, this verse, verse 1 here, is the summary of the last two chapters of Galatians. And in a sense, it's really a summary of all of Galatians so far. And this is beginning a warning. Warnings in the Bible are very important. Uh, warnings are things that are difficult to interpret for some. There are some who want to take biblical warnings that the, that the writers, the Holy Spirit has given us, and they want to say the warning is there because people do this. And there's another perspective is that the warnings are there because through the warning you won't do it. Does that make sense? This is it's a little complicated. Let me say it again. Either the warning is there to tell you if you do something wrong, you lose it, or the warning is there to tell you the warning so that you won't lose it. You, you understand the, the difference? Uh, if that's not clear, let's just keep going and maybe it'll, it'll clarify itself. Um, b- by the way, notice this. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit... What's the next word? Again, which means what? We're already in that state. Remember earlier in Galatians, Paul says, we're born into that state. We are those people. We have slavery because we're born in original sin, right? We are, are all of us, born into slavery. So when Lady Gaga sings born this way, she sings it as a celebration of an embracing of what's wrong with us, rather than by saying, this is slavery. It's, the, it's, the, it's the, one of the most important things the world does. It's very important to them, and you do the same thing, is you will try to redefine what is slavery as freedom so that you feel free, and you'll wonder why you can't seem to retain that feeling. I want Galatians to sink in so deep in your life, and to be honest, I need it in my life. I need it to sink in so deep that we just go, wow, this is, I'm just, I'm loved in Christ, period. Just, period, done. I'm loved, fully embraced. God does not know how to frown on me because Jesus has done everything perfectly, and I'm in Christ and clothed with his righteousness. How great would it be to leave today and just be like, I'm in the car driving, and Jesus just loves me. <laughs> just look at me. I'm turning, and I'm swerving. I just ran that guy off the road. Jesus still loves me. Hey, okay, don't do that. I'm not advocating that kind of driving, Keith. All right? Um, I don't know how Keith drives. I've only ridden with him, like, one time. I was like, your check engine light is on. He's like, it's been on for 400,000 miles. It's fine. That's the only thing I remember about your car at the time was that. Now you have a better car. For freedom Christ has set us free. That's the purpose. And then stand firm, therefore. Now now we got to, there's an alert here. There's a warning. There's a danger. We have to stand firm because we could potentially, the idea is the problem, the possibility is that we could submit again to a yoke of slavery, which is exactly what Paul is saying the Galatians are doing. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you accept circumcision, meaning not the, the physical action that doctors do for certain medical reasons. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is if you do something because you believe God requires it for salvation, if you do that, then Christ has no advantage for you. Stop it. All right. We forgive you. We forgive you. (laughs) How big of me. Forgive you for something involuntary. Um, Okay. If you have something you add to the gospel, then you no longer have the gospel. In other words, you can't earn it and receive it as a free gift. If somebody tries to give you something... And you're like, no, no, no. Let me let me pay you back for it. And they're like, no, no. I just want to give it to you. And you say, but but no. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you something for your free gift. That would be like absurd, right? Or if you give somebody something and you go, now I'm just gonna wait until they give me something back. You have people that do that to you. That's always fun, isn't it? There's such generous people. You gave me something just waiting for me to give you something back. You don't give me something back. Look, there's people who don't have the means to give something back, and you should have the joy of giving to them. And most of us have the ability to uh, at some level. Some of the coolest things that's happened to me is when somebody in this church just notices something about me that they, oh, you know, Steve likes this kind of thing, and so the, all of a sudden they'll just be like, hey, here's a gift. And I'll be like, that's, I'm just like, what? Like, you think about that? That's so cool. So, Paul says, if you accept circumcision in Christ, we have no advantage to you. You can't earn it and get it free. Christ has a free gift. You can either receive it or try to earn it. If you try to earn it, then he's of no advantage to you. Then you don't get the gift. The gift is impossible to receive. There is no way you can do something to make that gift yours. Except receive it. Except it's it's for the taking, right? And the joy that God has is being the giver, being the one who takes the sacrifice himself, being the one who sends his son to die on a cross so he can lavish his love upon you so that he receives the glory for being such a generous God when we don't deserve it. And what do you do if you try to earn it? You steal his glory for yourself. You are a thief. And so this is, again, this is just the gospel. If you accept circumcision, if you you think there's something to do, the Old Testament law, circumcision, right? Then Christ is of no advantage to you. I testify again, verse 3, that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Okay, so now the idea is if, if you're going to accept one thing, you've got to accept everything. You don't get to be the picker and chooser. You don't get to say, well, you know what? We still have to keep some of these certain Old Testament laws to to take one is to take them all and it's not possible to keep them all if if you say well we have to have circumcision and we have to hold these festivals okay now these are simple to do list things once it's done you say i have achieved righteousness i have achieved i you know i've earned the gift the point is if you're going to take some of it it's all yours all the law Everything you have to do. And the law does not start out with, go do this. The law starts out with, you have one God and only one God. And you can only worship that one God. And if you don't give him your full worship, you've broken the law. Right? What does Jesus say the most important commandments are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you have perfectly done that? If you think you've perfectly done that, you are in the worst kind of place. Because we all will fail. So, uh, let, me just, let me just kind of summarize those two verses this way. You can't do the possible to earn what is impossible. We, we love to do this. The impossible is to earn the free gift of salvation. We can't, we can't earn it. We can't get there. We can't do enough good works to overcome bad works. And none of that. That's not even a part of how God's economy works. So what we try to do is say, we're going to build a religious system upon what is possible and then pretend like that gives us the impossible, which is salvation. Only God, and G- through Jesus, can do the impossible, and it is the free gift. So don't try to act like you can do the possible to earn what is impossible. And in your own life, as you think about what you do and don't do and thinking that those things make God happier with you, You need to realize you're starting to build a system into your life of the days where I feel like God's pleased with me is the days I feel like I'm doing better. And I've got more to say about that, but I'll I'll, I'll hold off for a minute. Verse 4. You are severed from Christ. Okay, now Paul just goes, right? Like, this is is who you are? This is what you're about? You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. In other words... Uh, uh, Tim Keller, preacher in New York City, says this, you cannot add to Christ without subtracting Christ. It's sort of a new way to say what we've been saying all along, Jesus plus nothing. You cannot add to Christ what Christ has done, what Christ gives. You cannot add to Christ without subtracting Christ. Because Christ is sufficient. You don't take what is sufficient and add something to it. The minute you add something to it, You've said, I'm not depending on what is sufficient for me. It is not a foundation to build something of your own on top of. It is a foundation in which he builds everything else. So you cannot add to Christ without subtracting Christ. Not subtracting from Christ, to give it a saying. The preposition is not there in the second part. You cannot add to Christ, preposition to Christ, without subtracting Christ, meaning Christ himself. So this is this is kind of the start of chapter 5. It's kind of the, the, the test for Christians. Is this where we are? For, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm. Don't submit to a yoke of slavery. What is a yoke of slavery? It's to take circumcision, to say something. It's, and this is just the, the example. But it's, it's one of those big examples. It, it's an example of doing something on top of knowing Christ and trusting in Christ in order to be accepted. So... If you're doing that, Christ have no advantage to you. If you try to keep one of the laws, you've got to keep all the laws. What you're doing is you're severing yourself from Christ, and you've fallen away from grace. Now, just think hard about your life. Are you doing this? And if everybody goes, no, I'm not doing this, then you haven't heard what I've said. This is what we do. Galatians is not a letter written to one particular church that just had one particular error. It is written for all of us forever to remember this is what we do. This is the worst kind of idolatry, and it is also what seems so godly and appealing because we're built for law. We're built to do. I, I, I've seen so many people who are like, you know what? I, I, Christianity is like you. You're just it's a free gift, but I want to go and to have rituals and stuff to do in order to sort of make myself holy by being so committed. You need to be committed in a different way, right? So I mean, this is this is our problem. It's what we do. Verse five: For through the Spirit, by faith. Spirit is not you doing it; it's God doing it. By faith is trusting that He's doing it, right? For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Get what that's saying. We don't work or strive for righteousness. We wait. You, if you're trying to do righteousness to be acceptable, then this word is the only way to be righteous is to wait eagerly. Not anxiously, like fearfully, but eagerly. The fullness of the righteousness that God has already wrought in Christ. That's our great hope. We can't wait for the day when God looks at us and says, not, I'm going to run the film of all your sins. Right? You hear this over and over? I'm going to run the film of all your sins in front of you. I don't think we're going to get to Heaven, And we're going to weep over all of our sins. We are going to just jump for joy. Because what we eagerly waited for, the hope that we have, is that when God sees us, it is Christ that he sees. And so it is through the Spirit, and it is by faith, that we wait for righteousness, not work for Righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. And again, you can it's, he's giving a specific example, but you can make that a general example as well. It is not something that you add, not something that you do, not a part of the Old Testament law, not a part of your own morality. Whatever you're, you think is, this is something that morally is important, and if I'm not doing this, I cannot be a Christian. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Uh, This is weird. Like, it's one of those statements where you hear that, and it's just, it's so anti-how I want to live. But it is not what I do or don't do that counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In other words, they are not works that I can do. Uh, I was trying to think of an example for this, and I thought of a horrible one, but it's still, the, I mean, it's, it's a good example, but it's something I didn't want to bring up. In the movie Titanic. Uh, if I could think of a, I, there's a million of these examples. For some reason, this is the one that's stuck in my head. But there's a, there's a point, and I, I think it's, you know, toward the end. Um, by the way, spoiler, the ship sinks. Um, so <laughs> it's toward the end. Uh, and the ship is starting to sink. And there's the guy and the girl, right, that, that, that have fallen in love with each other because they have run around on a ship together and looked at things. And so they, 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 they're, they're running around and they're doing whatever. And now everything's in danger. And now they realize that their chance of survival is very slim and they're going to have to figure this thing out. And there's a point, and I don't even remember the exact point. It may, there may be said even more than one time. But there's a point. Where the guy looks at the girl and he says, do you trust me? I need you to trust me. And she looks at him and says, I trust you. That was my best Kate Winslow. That's all I got. All right. Th- this happens everywhere. We go see it on TV. We can see it in movies. There's always those moments where it's like, do you trust me? And then the person goes, I'll trust you. Which means What? They're not going to try to do it their own way. They're just going to trust that you know what to do. Or that you will have the best avenue for escape from what is so dangerous or what's going to kill us. What we have in Christ is not what we do. But it's Jesus looking at us saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I've done this for you already. You're trying to do something. Do you trust me? And our response is either, usually what our response is, so that we sound good in front of the rest of the Christians who overhear us. I trust Jesus. I trust you. And then we go and, you know, start to whistle while we work, right? And go to, and go to the, take our pickaxes and start working on the mines. And so we, we have this need to try to go into work and we know we're supposed to say that we're not but we still do it and what jesus is saying is trust me have faith in me just believe that what i have done is enough for you there's a there's a guy and i don't even know the full context of it so i might butcher it a little bit but it's an interesting idea where he says if you're a christian you have three free sins go go commit whatever three sins you want to commit just pick three and go commit them. And so everybody goes, what? Okay, wait, what? What do you, what do you, I don't, you can't go just commit sins, like willfully, you can't just go say, I'm going to go and commit. What, how, why would you, the dude's writing books, he's speaking at conferences. What, what is that? And uh, there's, there's something I'm going to get to toward the end of the sermon where I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But it's this idea of, do I trust him? Do I trust him so deeply that I could say, you know what? I could just go lie right now if I wanted to go lie, and he's still going to love me. Now, there's a second part of that. So don't just take that and go, I'm going to fall asleep for the rest of Steve's sermon, and then that's what I'm going to go home with. If you've already tweeted that somewhere on your phone, there's more coming, okay? And Nobody's tweeting, I think, right here? Okay, good. All right. <clears throat> Verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now, he's, again, he's sort of bringing out these big ideas. He's, 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 he's delivering all of this content. And now he kind of starts speaking about the people who are doing this stuff. You were, you were running well. You started right. You had the gospel. You were running well. What's running? Get it? What is running? It is doing something, right? You were running well. What does he say in verse 1? Stand firm. Is that doing something? You got it? You've got to notice. You've got to notice that he's playing those things off of each other. He's making points by by doing this. You, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Obeying. Doing something. Okay? Keep that in mind. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The persuasion is not from him who calls you. Going all the way back to the beginning of the Galatians, it's not the, the God who first called you in the gospel. that This is not him doing it. This is not God's stuff. So, then he says this. Like, it's just kind of thrown in the middle here, which is what you do with leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Okay? All of us artisan bakers, here we go. Um, you got the lump, you got the dough, you put a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast, right, just a little bit. You don't have to just take it and just pack it full of yeast. Yeast is, I'm, I'm not a guy who knows a lot about it, but it's a pretty simple concept. It only takes a little bit, and it does everything you need it to do. It just takes a little bit to do everything you need it to do. So he's, in a sense, talking about those false teachers that they can add something, and it can, it, in the sense that leaven is a bad thing, it can poison everything. It spreads everywhere, Right? Ten, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So in that sense, the leaven could be the consequence of doing that. All you've got to do is add one thing to Christ, and you've become a false teacher. You see the idea? The leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. The idea is that one thing is so bad that I have confidence in the Lord that the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty. There's a penalty. We're going to see a little bit about that penalty here. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. If I say Jesus plus something, the offense of the cross has been removed. A part of the offense is that it is grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And then he says, this is is how bad, okay? I need you to really... Hear me now. This is how bad it is to say do one thing on top of believing in Christ for your salvation. This is how bad it is. Verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. It's much more violent than it sounds. Like We can think of emasculation as something that is kind of... uh, you know, it's just it's, it's it's the idea of somebody looking less strong or masculine. This is what Paul says by saying that you got to get what he's saying. What's the one example he uses of the law throughout this passage? Circumcision. What does Paul wish for the false teachers? Full circumcision. Don't just cut through that layer, cut the whole thing. Yeah, Bob Bellhorn just went, oh! That, this is how bad it is. If you're going to say they must be circumcised, I wish the false teacher would just go ahead and just cut the whole thing off. I, I, I'm just being as graphic as the passage is being. The point that Paul is trying to make. May the circumcision go all the way and cut it off, is what he says. May they emasculate themselves. And he doesn't say this because he he's like, has some type of spite and he's, he's really hoping harm on them. In, in like He's just an angry man. But that in Christ and knowing the gospel and knowing how dangerous a false gospel is, you have to show how bad it is. You can't just say, there's a new Pope, let me go celebrate with my Catholic friends. We have, we have our differences, but you know we're all together on abortion and, you know, and marriage and sanctity of the family and life and all of this stuff. And so we're for those things, and so we're, let's just focus on what, where we're together. How can you do that and make that the focus when at the very heart of what they teach is this? What we should wish. You know, try to, if you put it in our own words, in our own times, with the particular works of the Catholic Church, or or any church that is doing this, or any Christian that's doing this, or or specifically now false teachers, right? We've got to think of false teachers, not just Christians who are going astray, where Paul is trying to lead them back. They're listening. This is how, this is... This is why it's so important for teachers to understand the gospel so that we're not teaching something else. It doesn't take but just a little, getting a little bit off for everything to just implode. And you can grow really big churches by being somebody who has imploding theology. Really big. Matter of fact, in lots of ways, it's easier. Because what do the people want to hear? What are the masses hungry for? Law. Give me something to do. Tell me, tell me to do these things so that I can feel right and righteous about my life. Please help me build up my idols. If, if, if I could find a church that would help me build up my idols, I would, would I be a part of that church. I want to preach at that church. I can build up my idols there. That's how, you, that's how you grow them big. I'm not saying that all big churches have to do that. I'm just not, that's not what I mean. My point is it's is very possible to, to grow them very big because people love law. So now he goes to transition from verse 12 to verse 13. The, the first 12 verses of this passage are, don't lose your gospel freedom. Somebody is trying to make you lose it. Don't lose it. And then he transitions to, don't abuse your gospel freedom. Gospel freedom is something you need to hold on to as tightly as you can, but not to abuse it. Look at what he says, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There's, what's the, what's the, the stuff on each side of the argument there? Do not use it as an opportunity for the flesh, for, for your own sin, your own idols, your own whatever, but instead use it for the sake of others. See that? Through love serve one another. By the way, if 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 it's freedom that if that's why Christ set us free is to have freedom, then that means when you're unloving, what you cannot do to become more loving is try harder to be loving. Do you understand that? It's it's counterintuitive. To say you can add nothing to Jesus to say, but if I'm not loving, if I'm struggling to be obedient in a certain area, what I need to do is work harder to be obedient in a certain area. How do you gain obedience? By knowing better and trusting more that you don't have to obey to be accepted. So if you're struggling with being loving, you don't need to go, Ah, Pastor reminded us today from Galatians, I need to be more loving. I really just need to be more loving. I'm going to try. Okay, the service is over. You're looking around like Pastor said be more loving. How am I going to be more loving? I'm going to go talk to somebody. Deb, I really like your hair. I'm more loving, right? You know, Sarah, I really like your glasses. I'm more loving. And Wayne, I really like your rugged good looks. And you know whatever. I mean, you just <laughs> there you go. So so you don't go around saying I, I'm just going to I'm going to find, I'm going to try harder. Guess what's going to happen if you try harder to be more loving? Well, it's going to be a number of things. You're you're either going to just give up because you figure out you can't do it, or you're going to become that fake person who always has a certain canned thing that you do to try to look like the most loving person. Now you're being loving in order for people to see you as loving. So now you're building up self-righteousness in order to, you're doing your good works in order to be seen by others. There's all sorts of things, there's all sorts of problems that come from that. But what happens when you're unloving, what we should do is run to the cross and say, Look at how loved I am. You want to know how to be loving? Bask in the love of God. Let it shine and shine and shine upon you so that you cannot help but leave and you have the glow of of being in the love of God. There's nobody more loving than somebody who's been deeply loved. What does Jesus say when the woman's weeping, washing his feet with her hair? Right? Right? box of ointment is broken and spilled out over his feet. What, what does Jesus say about her? I, I came into the Pharisee's house, and what happens? You did diddly squat. Am I, am I right? You did nothing for me. But what if this woman, since I walked in the door, has not ceased to weep and wash my feet? Why? What does he, what does he say? She has been forgiven much. She's been forgiven much. Her her forgiveness is so deep because she's such a sinful woman that now, because of the love of Christ, she can't help but worship and love. She can't stop herself. She's got expensive perfume and she's just breaking it and weeping and wiping her hair on somebody's feet that, you know, is out in the dust and the gross and the, you know, the, the droppings of everything that's walked around you and, and just all that stuff. And she's washing it with her hair because she's been so deeply loved already. She doesn't do it to be accepted. She did it because she's so overjoyed with how accepted she is. If you're unloving, if you're struggling to try to love people, And it might be because it's difficult people to love, but if you're struggling with it, what you need is not more effort to love, but it's to look to Christ. It's to dwell on our hope of righteousness that is already ours in Christ. Verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do what you want to do, but use it as an opportunity to serve by love. Serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you're not consumed by one another isn't that what happens when you love in order to be to have somebody do something back for you cuz it's not really love it's just it's a, it's you bartering i'll do this then you give me back you know we'll do this and we'll have this reciprocal whatever some of the, Some of the most loving things my wife has ever done for me is where she just does it and she has no desire for anything in return and it 's also the time when i 'm most motivated to do something in return because she doesn 't need it because she doesn 't say i you 've got to do something in return for me, but when she just does something, serves me, i just i want to serve her back i want to want to pick up the dishes and put them in the sink and I want to go and Turn on the crock pot at midnight last night, so it was ready for our St. Paddy's Day food, right? So, I want to serve her that way, because, not not to, because that will make her serve me, but because she's already shown me so much love. It just makes me want to love. So, when it's that good for just a relationship that has lots of flaws, imagine now... If we sit under the love of Christ and dwell in the love of Christ and remember what Christ has done and remember what Christ will do. So I asked you before, or I, I talked to you before about if if there's nothing we can do, if there's nothing we can do to add to Christ, then you could, if you know Christ, trust Him fully you could go out and purposefully lie to someone and still be forgiven because you would know Christ. In 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 kind of a theory sort of way, that seems like, well, if he's saying that there's, we, we can't lose it, we know that from other places in Scripture, we, he loves us that much, there's nothing we can do to add to it. So if it's not about our work, what we do or don't do, that does say we can't lose it. It also says that it's ours by nothing that we've done. So that means that if I go lie, I can go lie... I could go steal something today and I would still be loved by God fully. It would take nothing away from his love for me. But the right response by by getting through this passage and getting to the last three verses is this. I could go because of my freedom in Christ, because of his love for me that cannot be taken away, I could go and lie. But why would I possibly want to? If somebody says to you, you have three free sins, go commit whatever three free sins you want. The right response, if you believe the gospel, is what? Why would I want to? If you go commit the sins, it's because you don't believe the gospel. You see, it's a, it's a test whether the, the author intends it fully that way or not. If you just say, I'm going to go do the sins, well, now you're going to be at the end of doing those sins and going... I need to repent and trust in Christ. So it leads you to the gospel that way. If you say, why would I want to do it? Then you're showing that you already trust in the gospel. Because now why would I want to, why would I want to go and offend the God who's loved me so much that he sent me his son? In Christ, your standing is sure so that you could go lie, but why would you want to? You don't need to. Because I, my reputation, why do we lie? To get something for ourselves? I'm not gonna, I don't need to be selfish. I don't need to get stuff for myself. I have everything I need in Christ. Why do we lie? Our reputation. Our reputation is going to be hurt. If I don't say this, somebody's going to think something bad about me. But guess what? In Christ, my reputation is Christ's reputation. So what am I going to add to it by lying and trying to keep my own? You might keep your job but lose your soul. And so what we need to do is trust so deeply, know so deeply about his love for us that we would say, why would I possibly want to do anything else. In other, in other words, and this is kind of to to bring this all together now, you will be more holy in your own life. You will be more righteous. You will, you will increase in your obedience when you realize you don't have to. It's, this is the gospel, guys. I, I can't, I, I, it's not complicated. At the same time, it's not just so simple. You've got to understand the holiness that you long for in your own life. Well, I really want to be that person who, I'm, you know, I'm focused on prayer and I'm focused on loving people and I'm trying to help the poor and I'm trying to whatever those things are. I really want to be that person. The only time you'll ever start to be that person is when you realize you don't have to be, because Christ already has been for you. The motivation for obedience is that you don't have to be obedient. The motivation for obedience is that you don't have to be obedient to be accepted. Now I am set free from the consequences of what I do. And knowing that everything I do from this point on, as hard as I try, as much as, as good as my intentions are, it's going to be riddled with sin. And the minute I start to do something good, I'm going to start getting prideful about it. What I keep doing is I keep coming back again and again and again, repenting for my sin, but then just going i 'm just set free i 'm still free. God wants to set you free to go be messy, obedient Christians, not set free to go do what you want to do in in your flesh, but to do what you want to do because your heart 's now been changed and I want to do I, I want to go please my lord because he 's already pleased, not because i 'll be accepted, but because i 've already been accepted. So in your own life, where are you? Do you, do you think that your success in whatever area of life, whether it's work, whether it's family, do you think that your success makes Jesus love you more? It can't. Having a good spiritual day where I didn't do this one particular sin that I always struggle with and, and that I do these other good things, where I read my Bible and I prayed, and I, having one of those days and feeling better by the end of it because of your obedience is exactly what Paul is trying to stop you from doing. That doesn't mean you're not going to have those days where you feel better. It is that we feel better because of his love. It's not success. It cannot... Doing good, being as good as we possibly can right now is not going to increase his love for you. My kids cannot go and try extra hard tomorrow and make me love them anymore. Love is not in the mix because it's already been decided how much I love them. So that if something right now starts steaming through this room, if somebody comes through the front door with a gun, the first thing I do is go protect my children and my wife, and I stand in front of the bullet. I don't even have to think. It's been decided. Jesus took the bullet for you. Jesus stood in front of the bus for you. Jesus died on the cross for you. And the only thing you can do in response is enjoy to have faith. In joy to have faith in what He's already done. And realize there's nothing that you can do. And then we'll be free to go and to do everything that God would love for us to do in obedience, but not because we need to be accepted, but because we already have been. Do you stand with me for closing prayer? God, in my own heart, I, I know that what I'm thinking is is that not trusting in my hard work seems like such hard work. It's, I want so badly to try to be a, a person who does something, but the person who trusts in what they do, all they will get is the consequences of needing to obey everything perfectly or we're not yours. So God, help us. Help us not to just know in our heads that we are set free, but to experience, if we've put our faith in Christ, to experience the freedom that we have in Christ because of the great love of God through Christ. Oh, Father, you have loved us so much. You do love us so much. And if we are yours, no matter how messed up we are, if we are yours, You couldn't love us any more than you already do. What a great motivation that is for us to leave this building today and to love as we should. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.